I'm Jason Harmon, and this is API Intersection, where you'll get insights from experienced API practitioners to learn best practices on things like API design, governance, identity auth, versioning, and more. Thanks again for joining API Intersection. Kind of a mild, weird blast from the past for me. We have uh, interesting guest, Tanya Vlahovic. Yes, I had to look at notes and thank you for helping me from eBay, a distinguished architect there. We did cohabitate a bit, but I will say up front, I don't think we ever interacted when we were there. So uh, definitely lots for me to learn. I don't have any inside tips here today. Joining me as most often, uh, Adam Devander. Adam, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? And then Tanya, you can kind of give us your story. Yeah, thanks, Jason. I work at Every Developer, where we work with API companies to engage developers. And eBay is like one of the very first API companies. So I'm excited to hear Tanya's story and uh, lessons learned from 20 plus years of APIs. So welcome. Thank you for pronouncing my last name very well. Thank you, Adam. Hello, everyone. I'm really excited to be here uh, with you today and talking about eBay's journey when it comes to the APIs. I'm a distinguished architect or senior director at eBay. I lead the developer ecosystem organization or eBay's developers program. Uh, we enable third parties around the globe to integrate with our platform, with our marketplace using our APIs. I uh, joined eBay in 2011. Initially, I worked with the identity domain, and this is where I was responsible for the near real-time entity resolution of marketplace accounts into customer entities. Then I joined the risk team, where I was focused on the risk assessment of eBay sellers. And then finally, in late 2015, I joined the developer ecosystem organization. And back then, eBay API's portfolio was mostly SOAP and XML RPC APIs. So we decided it's time to revamp our APIs and our developers program. And that's how it all started. I was there uh, at the right time, I guess. All right. Well, that probably explains why we weren't talking too much, because I was working on REST stuff at PayPal at the time. And it, it did seem at the time like there were plans for that. But it, now I know <laughs> that's how it came together and you were part of it. That's cool. So what does developer ecosystem mean in, you know, I mean, that's an organizational term here, but... What does that mean in terms of your scope of kind of internal versus external factors? Yeah, so the developer ecosystem organization is focused on the third-party developers. So we take care of eBay public APIs. And uh, at eBay, there is no uh, centralized API team, but there is a centralized API governance team. And this is what I'm running. Oh, okay. Yes, so this is just the entire API governance, which includes you know, API decomposition, namespace definition, and so on. And we also provide technical support, take care of the uh, public API documentation, you know, on the developer's portal and things like that. But teams from all over eBay contribute to the API portfolio and release their capabilities publicly uh, to external developers. Okay, so that sounds like that internal APIs get externalized as part of this. And I, maybe I was stealing your question there, Adam. But. <laughs> <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> yeah, 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 cool. Exactly. So I think I typically compare uh, this to, to the iceberg. So whatever is above the waterline is the, the public API portfolio, which is powered by the massive set of the, uh, you know, internal uh, microservices. Sorry, for those not watching on video, I just did my drink. Anytime someone says tip of the iceberg with APIs, you got a drink, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Such a like heavily used <laughs> metaphor. 
yeah. Anyways, it's uh, I think it's a it's a very good metaphor. It it really uh, explains uh, very well how how the things are sort of structured. In terms of what is required governance wise for the above <laughs> above water iceberg and below water iceberg, is it different or is it the same sort of series of requirements and guidelines? Uh, yeah, so this is definitely one of my, uh, you know, favorite topics. And uh, again, my responsibility at eBay is to take care of the public API. So in general, everything that applies to the public API should uh, apply to the uh, internal private APIs. But sometimes it's challenging, right? So, you know, at eBay, we strongly believe in API governance. We have a large uh, API portfolio and that portfolio, they imagine, is what really matters. So, APIs are powerful when used together, so it's imperative to have a consistent uh, APIs. And here I include cross-cutting concerns, uh, vocabulary consistency. So uh, standards and patterns really help in that whole governance process. They define what is constant across uh, the APIs. They define the security policies, for example, and security is a very important aspect of any you know, successful developer's program. And then again, these are RESTful APIs and REST is not really a protocol, it's an architecture style. So people have to sort of like agree and align on, on what works, you know, the best for their organizations. And it sounds simple, but, you know, it comes with challenging. So first agreeing on, on the standards and patterns is, wow, really difficult. So it is challenging to have architects align. And I think this is a common case and a common problem, I would say, in, in the industry. You know, there are always people who sort of like think that standards and patterns impact innovation, slow down teams, some constraints and so on. So we invested a lot in sort of like trying to come up with that set of standards. And, you know, typically organizations with a good developers program actually create a vision for the APIs. And that vision includes the technical vision. And that's where standards and patterns really play an important role, but they are insufficient if we are missing the process. And such a governance process ensures that, that the API should fit that uh, technical vision and the process should be transparent and as much objective as possible and manageable. And it should be perceived as an enabler rather than a gate. And it's all about making the right choices for the organization. Yeah, but again, ideally it should be applied across the entire stack. So to whatever is above the, the waterline and whatever is below the waterline, but sometimes it's difficult to, you know, convince so many teams to sort of like, you know, follow all of these, you know, uh, standards and patterns. So we sort of like try to focus more on on the what part than on the how part. And then again, uh, the quality of these internal microservices, private APIs directly impacts the quality of the public APIs. And this is something that we are trying to sort of like raise the awareness of, of that fact. But for sure, whatever goes out, you know, that's where we are more strict. I hope I answered the question. So it Wow. What a beautiful summary. And I will say, uh, you know, I always have to put together a blog post after these things. And you just made the job really easy. And we're just going to transcribe that paragraph. <laughs> that's a beautiful summary of the job, the thankless job of working in a governance function. So I'm curious, how big is the overall kind of engineering team versus the size of your kind of uh, governing group? So when it comes to the governing group, again, so as I said, like we have a centralized uh, governance team and we just, you know, decided to pull in, you know, representatives from all of the relevant teams. Again, so when we started this journey to revamp the program five years ago, as I said, like we ran into many challenges. So it was tough to internally align. So 
you know, once we established all of these, you know, standards and patterns, and once we proved that uh, what we are doing makes sense, and once we started receiving a positive feedback from the developer community, it became much easier. So now we have a really smooth process, I would say, and everyone is sort of like agreeing and is aligned to sort of like, you know, follow this. So we have a centralized governance body with architects from uh, various, you know, product teams. And I believe that such con is good. So to have uh, representatives from all of the relevant teams. So that body is relatively small. I would say like uh, less than 10 people. But teams across eBay, it is their APIs. And we have a huge, you know, API portfolio. We have hundreds of APIs that, you know, portfolio. So again, I mean, there is no centralized API team. I mean, product teams release their capabilities externally, make them available to developers. And it takes time to onboard uh, new teams to this you know, process, but we figure out how to work together. So we literally work together. We design these APIs together. We organize training. We uh, go through standards, address concerns, ask the questions, incorporate their valuable feedback. Uh, when such teams come back again with new APIs, it's typically smooth. They know what the expectations are. Uh, they understand what we are asking for. They understand the value of having a consistent API portfolio. They already received feedback from uh, the developer community. So we keep sharing that feedback. So they feel, uh, you know, uh, proud when, you know, they get like a positive feedback from the developer community. So I think it was very challenging five years ago, but not anymore. But then again, we, we invested a lot in just, you know, <laughs> getting aligned internally and just, you know, convincing people that, that they should be following that, you know, uh, making sure that the engineering teams are following standards is, is not fun uh, at all. So, uh, but again, you know, nothing is set in stone. So the process keeps evolving. Uh, it's important to learn and, and iterate and, and find what works best for, for the organization. So just, you know, listen, learn and uh, evolve. Yeah, I think that message, though, that like people that have gone through that discipline learn that you make them look cool. Exactly. <laughs> and I think it's... For, for those maybe subject to these governing functions who are listening, I think it, that's always been a takeaway from me having served in that role in a few companies that, you know, if that's well understood up front, that like if you go this alone and you don't really kind of grok what the rules are, it's going to be clunky and rough and you're going to get rocks thrown at you. Uh, you know, the risks of not doing this stuff are too great. And if you listen to the help that's being offered rather than looking at it as kind of gates to pass through. Um, you're going to look cool and people are going to like the stuff you built. Yeah, that, that is true. And what we also sort of like emphasize is that teams should be innovating, right? So we, we strongly believe that delivering um, successful APIs is is only uh, possible when the teams are empowered to innovate. And in my organization, for example, we, we nurture a blameless culture. When I say blameless culture, this is beyond just, uh, you know, DevOps. Mm -hmm. So um, we encourage our team members to, to innovate on behalf of our customers. So, you know, flexibility and joy are key to people, you know, feeling safe to take risks and to try something new. And there are so many examples that, you know, engineers came up with some ideas and, you know, uh, we ended up releasing SDKs, widgets, and all sorts of things just, you know, to help developers further. And yeah, that's basically what we also do. And um, it's very important, actually, to connect and to communicate with, with, with developers. We pay uh, attention to that a lot and we emphasize on, on that. So 
uh, whenever we work on the new APIs, we partner with trusted developers. That works very well for us at eBay. I'm not sure whether this is applicable to every single you know, company. Sometimes I keep getting questions how you can figure out who are your trusted developers and so on. In our case, we know. We have developers who have been with us for 20 years, right? This is a, you know, yeah. a very mature developers program. So that is basically what we sort of like, you know, do is we work with our trusted developers, work together on the APIs, we also believe that developers you know, shape strategies and roadmaps and, you know, we release our APIs as beta first. We go with that feedback loop. APIs are for developers, so, so they should, you know, meet developers' needs. And of course, whenever we receive such feedback, we share with the engineering teams, with the API owners. So, and people want to do what, what's the right thing to do. So everyone wants to solve the customer's problem. And, you know, at eBay, our customers are buyers, sellers, but also developers. Yeah, for sure. So I'm, I'm going to pin you, I want to pin you down though on the team size thing. So you said there's about 10 people that are doing this kind of, sounds like sort of a council sort of format, but you work full-time on this. Are there other people that work full-time on this? No. So again, so people just, you know, volunteer their time and participate. So, you know, eBay is a big company, right? So we have uh, many of such, you know, forums, internal forums, when architects from various, you know, domains participate uh, in all sorts of, you know, design discussions, reviews and things like that. So this is yet another forum that, that is focused on the, on the public APIs. When it comes to the size of, of the teams who contribute to the, uh, you know, API portfolio, I don't know. So as I said, like eBay is, is a big company. There are so many domains. Almost every single one has public APIs. So it depends, right? I mean, you know, how much the engineering efforts these teams put depends on the initiatives uh, at eBay and so on. So we really strive to make sure that our APIs support all of the business initiatives at eBay because, you know, developers program is really strategic to us. So our developers really, really bring value to our buyers and sellers, to, you know, us. Uh, so the success is our mutual interest. So we really, really work closely with the developers because they they expand our business into new contexts. They create fantastic experiences for their users who in the end are our buyers and sellers. And then team-wise, though, I would guess that the ecosystem team is more than just you. That what you were talking about with the group of 10 or so is governance, right? Yes. Can you talk a little bit more about what sort of roles are within the ecosystem team? Yes. So I think I mentioned it, but let me talk, elaborate more. So we provide developer technical support to our developers. We also author uh, the API documentation. You know, I have architects in my organization who, again, participate in all of these you know, forums. And my organization owns the BI APIs. And I think we talked a lot publicly about these BI APIs. They generated a lot of a lot of value to eBay in less than four years since we launched them and you know started onboarding partners. We generated more than five billion dollars uh, gross merchandise bought or GMB. So that was really a, a big success. So yes, that's what we are focused on. But then again, you know our APIs have to follow and be aligned with the eBay initiatives, and you know we have business initiatives all the time. So we are pretty pretty busy. It's notable to me. So this is our 13th episode, I think. And a couple of things that you said in there, I think, have been true with everyone in these kind of governing functions. One is, you know, partner with, don't be kind of, you know, the, the czar of things. I think small centralized governance that's that evolves into being decentralized and like prioritize those efforts around governance 
to be in line with kind of the business deliverables rather than some, you know, independent uh, focus. So, you know, you kind of mentioned in there, like, I'm not sure if everybody else does it this way. Everybody that we've talked to and that's been, you know, focused on successful programs, this has been true. So I think those are certainly the norm, I guess. <laughs> the norm of success anyways. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, those are the true elements of success, I would say, yes. Uh, yeah, we actually collaborate with, you know, people who are involved in, in the governance processes in different organizations. So we sort of like different companies. So we are trying to sort of like follow the practices. Yeah. No, I think that's part of what the show is about is learning how does all this work inside all these companies that have successful API programs and are there consistency and patterns? So sometimes I have to enumerate them as we start seeing them emerge. Yeah, and maybe we could look kind of at an example of someone had, there's a new API that's coming to eBay and what does that look like in terms of how early does that team reach out to the governance team? How early do they reach out to the the best developers for, for feedback? Like, what's the kind of the timeline of something like that? Yeah, so they reach out to us uh, as soon as they know that they have to expose some capabilities internally. So if, if we are building something for the very first time, even internally, then we collaborate on the internal uh, APIs as well. So they reach out at the early stage, and I think that's the best. And uh, we just, you know... Uh, make sure that before jumping into the design, they understand very well uh, the problem statement and what they are trying to solve. I keep asking my teams to, you know, work on the requirements with a healthy degree of skepticism. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to challenge requirements. It's okay to zoom out and to try to see the bigger picture. Because, you know, in case of the APIs, once you release them, they will stay for a long time. Any breaking changes impact uh, negatively business, typically, right? At least in, in case of eBay, that's that's always the case. So it's, it's a very important to sort of like zoom out and, you know, have the bigger pictures, to see the bigger picture and to understand how that contract will keep evolving and growing with the business because business will change for sure. So, and then we, at eBay, we have a design process that we called uh, interface design method or IDM. Uh, so, um, and I think that process also works, works very well. So this is to create some sort of like a blueprint for the API. The starting point is to define the use cases, which means actors and all sorts of actions that they can take and also to define constraints. So the next step is to derive entities and entity relationships from these use cases. And then typically uh, the nouns, you know, we are talking about RESTful API, so it's all about nouns and verbs. So the nouns are then identified from the entities and verbs from the actions. And finally, we define a resource representation. So when we convince teams to follow that, it becomes really easy and simple to sort of like lay it out. Then what, what we as, as the governance team, you know, ensure is that the naming convention is going to be consistent, that an item is always an item, an item, an item, regardless of what's the API and so on. So, uh, and of course, I mean, all of these things that are part of the RESTful protocol is just, you know, make sure to, uh, you know, use the right HTTP status codes and, uh, you know, how to proceed with errors or warnings and things like that. So we, again, spend so many years learning. So we sort of like try to make it as much straightforward as possible. So 
that's something that we ensure to have as part of this whole governance process. There has to be that blueprint. And in addition to what the upcoming release is, we try to convince people, teams to sort of like think in which direction their API will evolve because most likely it will. So we try to put all sorts of placeholders for eventual extensions because we keep seeing that. So just, you know, the more they can think uh, ahead, the, the better. And that's what we are trying to emphasize. When you mentioned this blueprint, I noticed that uh, you represent eBay with the Linux Foundation and the Open API project. So is that blueprint format uh, typically Open API? That is what comes at the end. So we start from the use cases first, right? Which is not really, I mean, as I said, like the use cases first, then the entities, that entity relationship diagram, and then you derive uh, nouns and verbs and so on and, and work on the detailed resource representation. And that is where uh, the open API spec is. And uh, yes, I actually, uh, you know, love that you asked that question. So we are a member of the Business Governance Board at the Open API Initiative at the Linux Foundation. So we are not that particular at eBay when it comes to tools. So again, um, the governance process is important and it doesn't matter what is the underlying stack for that particular API. The API must be consistent and must fit well into this uh, portfolio. So we are not that particular when it comes to tools as long as the standards are followed. Again, the focus is on the what part and not on the how part. And the outcome is really what, what matters. So, but we do encourage, and it's not really encourage, we insist on leveraging the open API uh, spec. So for all of our RESTful APIs, we have the documents based on the open API spec published. And I think we were the first in industry to publish uh, the documents, the open API documents based on the 3.0 spec. And um, it's easier to understand the APIs. It's also easier to integrate with our APIs when starting with the open API documents. There are so many tools as we are all aware of, like Swagger and so on, that generate clients and simplify integration with the APIs. And we are sort of like promoting that a lot. And we recently adopted uh, the async API spec as well. So that spec and that initiative aims to standardize the way the asynchronous APIs are described. We use it for our async APIs. We use it for our event notifications. And it's again, a human readable and machine readable spec similar to the open API. It's compatible with the open API. It supports very well both publishers and subscribers side. And there are some cool visualizers for engineers to understand uh, the contract. So we really encourage API providers to adopt both open API and also the async APIs back and to join the community and support these initiatives. Yeah, I clearly, uh, it's a near and dear topic. I was part of the kind of founding group with Linux Foundation to, to get that off the ground. Uh, don't do that these days. I don't know, maybe again at some point, but um, at Stoplight, obviously, we're built pretty heavily on top of it too. So I couldn't agree more. There was a lot of interesting bits in your process stuff. And the thing that a listener who isn't doing all of this might think is that sounds like a lot of time for you as a reviewer or anyone else involved kind of doing this review and collaboration, that it's a lot of time of manually looking through all this stuff. Is there anything you do to make that process more efficient? So we tried in the past, but we are not there yet. So we tried to do some automation, but then again, it's difficult to automate review of the underlying model. So you can automate something, right? You can automate naming conversion. You can automate like the error handling to some extent uh, or verifying that 
the right HTTP status codes are documented in the contract and so on. But to really make sure that the model is okay, and I think that's the most difficult you know, thing. So typically teams start like, okay, I have a request, I have a response. I will put whatever I want in that request, whatever I want, I need will be part of that response, but that's not the right model. And that's what I love about REST because it's all about these resources. It's just you know, how we're going to structure them and just to make sure that there are boundaries not to like keep like doing the similar things across the APIs and so on. So uh, and it's not that, you know, easy to sort of like automate. And I think there are companies that are trying to do that. I think Apigee is trying something, but again, it's not there yet, I would say. So we spend time, but it's more like to understand the problem statement and, and that the modeling is proper than everything else is sort of like relatively easy. Yeah, I feel like I commonly have to remind people that when we say API design, that it's a design job. <laughs> and the process of designing things requires empathy and rationalization and, you know, all the same things we see in other uh, design disciplines. This is just an emergent one that's different. So are you doing some level of automation on some of those more deterministic things like conventions? Or at this point, are you just manually reviewing it all? So we tried something, we did made some progress in the past, but we just, you know, put it on hold. So it's it's pretty much, I would say, like manual. But again, we are not that busy. We are not releasing APIs literally every day. So, you know, it's not like, wow, this is like a huge, again, we have a huge portfolio. We have hundreds of APIs, but it's not like that we just, you know, keep releasing them every day. So it's it's okay. And that design, you know, takes time and sometimes it is challenging, right, to find that balance uh, between the agile methodology and the need to do a proper design. And I think that's what people are struggling. It's okay to keep iterating when it comes to the public APIs as long as uh, the changes are backward compatible. When they are not, that's a problem. Yeah. Because no one is happy to run two versions in parallel. And then again, to move consumers from the old version to the new one, it again depends on the developer's program on how it is structured, on who the partners are, and what is the impact of the breaking changes uh, on the business. So in our case, it's a little bit you know, tricky because there are developers who invested years of integrating with our APIs and moving them to the different APIs or so is not always that easy because it's not something that we can drive. We can help with all sorts of SDKs and widgets and drop-in solutions and all sorts of things. But then again, they need to invest you know, work on, on their side. So that's why we really have to be, um, you know, very cautious and that's where we spend time. It is probably that, the, you know, in some cases, it's more work on our side, but as long as it is less work on these thousands of third-party developers, that still, you know, matters. Is there a checklist you have for determining whether something will be a breaking change? I mean, is there, like, what are some of the things you take it through to make sure that you are backwards compatible? Uh, we just, you know, compare the contracts, right? So that's how we figure out whether the, you know, we know what the backward incompatible changes are. If you drop a method, if you just, you know, stop supporting some fields and so on, that's that's a backward incompatible change. So yeah, we just compare the two contracts and, and figure out where is the difference. Then I wonder about, you mentioned when you first joined the API team that you had a huge process of bringing older APIs into more modern technologies. I know there are a lot of listeners who are going through something similar right now. What was your approach there? How do you choose which APIs to do first? And I guess you can't have backwards compatibility when you're changing an entire interface, but you do want to have sort of feature parity, right? So what did you do there? So we just started um, 
based on the APIs that are heavily used that bring more value to us. So what we actually do very well at eBay, we have something which we call KOID or Know Your Developer. I came up with that acronym a couple of years ago. So that's the process when we try to understand exactly how our developers leverage our APIs, how they integrate with our APIs. We actually created a huge uh, data set of developers and their integrations with our APIs so we can understand very well and literally calculate the value of every single developer applications and all of our APIs, uh, calculate the value and, and the value that they bring to eBay, that they bring to us, right? And that is something that really helps. So in our case, I, I talked about feedback, right? And how important that feedback loop is. And there is direct and there is indirect feedback. So direct feedback is when we collaborate with our third-party developers and when they share you know, their feedback with us, especially when we are launching new capabilities, when we are piloting something with them. On the other side, that indirect feedback is equally important. We keep looking into our data and that is one of the main drivers to tell us in which way to go and what are the APIs that are the most important for what we need to figure out, to fix, to provide new capabilities and so on. So this is where we can identify workarounds and all sorts of things. So every workaround tells a lot, right? It tells that most likely there is something missing in the portfolio. So that is basically what helps us. So we keep looking into data and we have a massive data set of our third parties and how they, they use our you know APIs. So... There are operational metrics, there are business metrics. So operational metrics are okay, right? They tell us whether our platform is stable, what's the scale we operate at, and all sorts of things. But then the business metrics are really important because that's what can help us to figure out how to grow our revenue. Yeah, it sounds like a topic we hear a lot about thinking about your APIs as products. And it sounds like yes. there's some of that going on. Absolutely. So uh, we actually, you know, consider our APIs to be products and um, they are actually first-class products for us at eBay. So again, our customers are buyers, sellers, and developers. So we have a really large and powerful ecosystem of third-party applications that add value to us and to our buyers and sellers. So we truly believe in that B2D or business-to-developer um, model. And we see our APIs as, as building blocks that developers just, you know, put together in a unique way. And there are all sorts of different, you know, integrations. Developers use our APIs to manage their seller's business at scale, to provide logistics services, to provide bookkeeping services. I mean, marketing, you name it, right? So every single concept of a marketplace is supported on the third-party side as well. And, you know, imagine having thousands of developers working with your APIs and bringing value to eBay. So that I think that's, that's awesome. And, um, you know, there are developers on the buy side who surface our inventory into their experiences, drive traffic to eBay or, you know, enable checkout in their own experiences and their shoppers to purchase our items. So we just, you know, allow third parties to sort of like take all of these building blocks and combine them in a unique way and uh, create great experiences. And we design these APIs, and release and maintain them, you know, such as that they provide their customers, developers a good experience. Nowadays, it's all about connecting users and data. And that's how many companies generate revenue. And I think the global pandemic intensified that even more. So that's the way we work, the way we learn, shop, entertain, the way we do almost everything nowadays, right? It's just about finding ways to sort of like interact with customers more frequently, more efficiently, more safely, right? Because of the global pandemic. And behind all this is uh, are the APIs, right? Yeah. 
they're just trying to get the most out of it, so, like probably so many other companies. So. For sure. It seems like everybody these days is uh, getting their platform thinking cap on. I mean, we are again fortunate that we started that back in 2000. <laughs> but then, I mean, everything can be improved and that's what we keep, you know, doing. So Yeah, Adam already said it. You guys are API OGs. Uh, <laughs> I'm curious, you know, if I'm asking for privileged information or you don't know, that's fine. Um, you can tell me, don't ask. But I'm curious, mm -hmm. like, what's the proportion of overall business that passes through APIs? So um, I am actually not going to talk about the proportion, but let me just, you know, give you a couple of uh, facts. So I just mentioned that the Buy API has generated more than $5 billion in GMB in less than four years. Mm -hmm. So since 2017, when we started to onboard our first partners till end of last year. And then I can also say that in Q1 this year, third parties uh, created 1 billion listings via the APIs. One billion. One billion listings. <laughs> Pinky and mouth. Yeah. One billion listings, yes. <laughs> exactly. So if, if something exists in the world, most likely it's for sale on eBay. Yeah, that's true. I, I'm an unrepentant eBay junkie, so <laughs> I can attest to that. And then they actually revised or modified 1.5 billion listings in Q1. So I think that's, wow. that's just, you know, to illustrate, illustrate the scale. Yeah, pretty business critical. It is. And those are those are listings through apps that developers outside of eBay have built, right? Yes. yes so that yes. doesn't include any internal API calls. That's, yeah, that's an amazing scale for sure. It is. <laughs> yeah, that's, I said we are busy. We are pretty busy, you know, team. So, I mean, obviously, I think we're touching on the edges of like, the other side of platform, as I think about it, the former that we've been talking about being this kind of, you know, componentizing your architecture and how to connect to other things. But the other side is marketplaces and kind of how marketplaces grow and kind of how we structure those things. So I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that like aligning your API strategy on business terms. I would imagine that kind of marketplace dynamics and how you think about incentivizing suppliers and buyers must be connected to that. And is there any kind of cross-pollination between your work on that more technical side with the marketplace dynamic side? So we collaborate closely, right? So we just, let me give you an example. So we enabled uh, videos on eBay listings recently. So that is an example of, of an eBay initiative. So we just follow the API first approach here and we just did everything that, you know, we should do when it comes to the API first. We again partner with the trusted developers and so on. And as of now, the only way to upload videos to eBay platform is via the APIs. That's an example. Then, you know, there was a lot of success with the authenticity guaranteed and with sneakers on eBay and luxury watches and things like and that. Watches, so that's yeah. again, I love that. <laughs> that's again supported via the API. So that's basically what I meant when I said that we are trying actually to make sure that whatever critical new business initiatives we have, that the APIs will support that. Then eBay is managing payments, right? So there was a lot of work to make sure that that our APIs will enable, you know, third parties to do the right thing. I just mentioned 1 billion listings created in Q1 this year via the APIs, which means that they have to, you know, have all of the tools that are needed to manage their seller's business uh, at scale in the right way. So those are examples, right? So then there is this popular certified refurbished program uh, at eBay, which is again, fully supported in the APIs. So that's, that's what we are trying to do. 
Now that you mentioned it, it has been a lot of change in eBay experience over the last year, both for buyers and sellers. Um, I know like in my various hobbies with the mess you can see behind me if you're on video, um, like there's a lot of eBay interaction there. And yeah, I guess you've had the shift to seller payments not on PayPal anymore and direct. So that must have been a huge shift. My curiosity is like this seeming acceleration and kind of change. I'm curious how much of that is sort of attributable to this more API-focused strategy? I'm actually not quite sure that I uh, I know that answer to that question, but uh, for sure, I mean, you know, because of, of the value that the third parties, you know, bring to us, it's a must to support all of this via the API. So, you know, managing payments, that was a big shift, right? So we had to deliver a huge, uh, you know, set of finances and payments-related APIs to enable our developers to continue doing what they used to do with, you know, and integrating with PayPal APIs and so on. So it's... Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I like to ask some of these questions because I think for some people who are trying to get these things off the ground, the struggle is, can I explain the business value of what we're doing? And it's, I think your description is really interesting is that the opportunities that this connectivity and this consistency offers gives you flexibility to make bigger business bets. But the work of doing that API stuff, actually, you don't necessarily need to know all the business initiatives. You're just kind of partnering with whatever the, the direction the product's going in. I think I mentioned that we have a massive data set of, and that we calculate the value that third parties uh, bring to us. Oh, yeah. And that is what we use to, to, to decide I suppose. how to handle our APIs. Yep. So just... Uh, yeah. So I suppose the supplier focus would be the thing there. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting from kind of Expedia Group um, and my experience there. Um, it's very similar in that, you know, the API volume tends to come from the supply side of a marketplace. So I suppose it kind of seems like a somewhat consistent thing in marketplace stuff. And I know looking at that industry as a whole around kind of travel, that was generally true in, in almost every segment. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I guess if you're working in a marketplace, look at supply side for value message. Maybe that's true. Yeah. Cool. All right. So that's like a lot of stuff. And I have to go back to my one consistent question, I think, on almost every episode now. Uh, and it's always the most fun. Um, and sorry if you squirm. But so take off your eBay cap for a moment and put yourself in the seat of someone just getting started. They've got a random array of API things happening and they want to gain this consistency and this focus and this improvement in experience and build their B2D skills and all this stuff, where would you start? If I am on the API provider side or on the API consumer side, I'm not sure that I got the question. Provider. On the so side. You're, okay. basically you're building your API program from scratch. Okay. And perhaps in a not, you know, billion transaction kind of uh, environment, maybe something smaller trying to scale up. Uh, what guidance would you give? Partner with the architects from uh, um, your organization, from various teams. Again, it depends on how structured the organization is. Partner with business as well uh, to understand, uh, you know, the, the vision for the program. Because again, there is a technical vision, there is a business vision, right? And then I guess I would again focus on the technical vision. So try to explain what the benefits are of having a consistent portfolio and then just, you know, be patient, spend months trying to get aligned and come up with some concepts and standards and practices. Again, keep iterating, keep changing, keep listening to the feedback, keep evolving. 
but try to sort of like have a team of people who will support it. Again, it's painful at the beginning. It's difficult. I keep saying if you have four architects in the room, by the end of the discussion, there will be at least five suggestions because at least one will change their mind before the meeting ended. <laughs> that happens. We all went through this. So probably not every single aspect is something that I don't know everyone agrees with, but at least if there is a consensus, if people in general agree and agree to to disagree, but still to follow, I mean, that's how it should work. So it's just, you know, a matter of time. It's okay to listen to feedback. It's okay to partner again with developers who can help to shape this all and just, you know, be patient, look into what's going on in industry, try to follow the standards, industry standards, like, I don't know, that open API, async API, and so on give developers tools, give developers, be transparent, right? So we didn't talk about uh, the developer experience, but that's that's something which is super important. So people should know that when they want to actually build a, build a program, right, from, from the scratch. So I typically say that there are five, you know, pillars of, of the developer's experience. And I don't know if that's that everyone in the industry sees this as five or so, but I will just go over my list. So uh, the first thing are the building blocks, right? And this is where, you know, this includes the APIs, feeds, event notifications, SDKs, drop-in solutions or widgets. So basically all sorts of tools that you give to developers, the API Explorer and so on. So again, I talked about the APIs. They have to be, uh, you know, intuitive and easy to understand and consume. They are for human developers. And that customer satisfaction is one of the really important metrics to measure the success of the API program. And then also, you know, focus on the SDKs. We, we do that at eBay. And they are not just, you know, simple wrappers around the APIs. They help to integrate and to streamline this integration. And in our case, we open source them. And we do that for various reasons, to give transparency to our developers into how what's going on with our APIs and our platform. And also we welcome contribution from them. Uh, and then the documentation is the second pillar. So that documentation, again, I am really a huge fan of, of the open API and things like that. So, and I think that the API contract should be intuitive and easy to understand. So developers are not supposed to study the documentation in order to understand how to integrate with the APIs. But documentation is important to tell a story. So that's how I'm seeing that. Then the third pillar is support. So it has to be the developer technical support. It, it is good to have forums. And I think this is obvious. I mean, need so don't need to talk more about that. And then that communication and connection, right? So before the pandemic, we used to traverse the globe to, to meet with all of the strategic you know, developers whenever we were launching new integrations that are important to us. So it's, it's good you know, to spend a couple of days in workshops and sessions, whiteboarding and things like that. So it's important to communicate the program vision, program updates, metrics to some extent, whatever you know, can be communicated externally. And that helps to improve uh, the quality of, of the developer ecosystem and the portfolio of the third-party applications. And that communication needs to be both, uh, in both directions. So that feedback loop is, is super important, that direct feedback. And I would say then the fifth pillar is growth. Right. Because once you release your APIs, you're not done. Right. So that's why I keep calling out that KID process that you have. Understand who are your top developers, uh, you know, who are not. Uh, figure out who you can help and work with to sort of like enable them to grow their business. Because 
I mean, their success is, is your success. In our case, you know, they contribute a lot to eBay. So it's, it's very important for us to help them to be successful. So that's basically how I would, what I would actually consider you had to sort of like run this from the scratch somewhere else. You definitely have high standards <laughs> as a starting point. Wow. That's just the experience, right? Again, I said, I said I would be patient, yeah. right? So patience is important, but there has to be a vision and a goal, right? So you cannot get this all, you know, from the day one. I mean, again, we put so much effort into our program and we are not done yet. So we keep improving every year and so on. And I'm sure the answer to this is within those five pillars. But if someone hasn't had discussions with developers who use their APIs, that's common. How would you tell them to identify a developer <laughs> to talk to first? I mean, you know, they have to have some sort of a like, way to measure the value that the API brings and the developer brings, you know, and then just, you know, figure out who should you should go to talk to, right? I mean, it, it really depends on the use case and on, on, on the type of a business the organization is doing and so on. Well, it sounds like you're saying that sort of, you know, pre-pandemic era, obviously, like setting up an event where you actually invite folks to come and really interact with them in person you know, that, uh, like I would say, pizza and beer go a long way in learning things in product. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, in our case, again, this is a mature program, but yeah. uh, we meet with top developers once a month. I meet with them once a month. For me, that's like a, it's a product management staple that I think ports well into this kind of environment. Is like have your close group of kind of what I call like an early access group is like share those early thoughts, show where you're going with things you know, be a little more open and transparent than with just the average folks and figure out what their needs are and listen a lot. Exactly. So, you know, assuming that APIs are first-class products for the organization. If they are, then you have to treat them as first-class products and to talk to your customers. Well, pro tip, anybody that had, that sits and listens through 45 minutes of this wants to accomplish that. That's why they're listening. So <laughs> <laughs> we have a heart for it. <laughs> Any other sort of parting thoughts for us here beyond that? Or perhaps anything uh, that you want to say to the eBay developer community who might be listening in? The eBay developer community is, uh, is really a great community. So uh, it has been such, a, such an awesome partnership uh, over the years. And I'm hoping that we are going to continue this. So this summer we are again running our virtual conference. You know, last year it was virtual. Before that it was always in person. We used to have such events around the globe. It's a little bit different, but we still managed to connect with them. So uh, I hope I'm going to see them uh, virtually, uh, meet with them on July 12th. when uh, we are running our second webinar this summer. And um, yeah, so when it comes to my message in general, beyond the developer community, I strongly believe that APIs help to, you know, generate revenue. It's about connecting users and data. So it's, it's, it's just, you know, the continuous apification. Nice. Keyword of the day, apification. Apification. Continuous. <laughs> with CA. Nice. <laughs> well, Tanya, it was really a pleasure getting to know you a little bit and understanding the eBay story. Um, I think the eBay developer community is in pretty good hands with you here. And I think it'd be interesting to see how things unfold. Thank you both. It was great chatting with you today. So thanks again. And, and Adam, thanks again for co-hosting as uh, also often. Absolutely. Great to hear the stories. Thanks for listening. If you have a question you want to ask, look in the description of whichever platform you're viewing or listening on, and there should be a link there so you can go submit a question and we'll do our best to find out the right answer for you.